Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. You guys, episode eight is incredible. (laughs) Today, I have Dr. Jenna Hoa, PhD of Million Marker, and she is an environmental health scientist, and she's super, super passionate about the effects of toxins on your fertility. Um, I think after you start listening to to today's episode, you'll really see how passionate she is. Um, We start today's episode with her sharing with us her very, very difficult and heartbreaking uh, fertility struggle and how that's really led her to focus on toxin exposure. I first learned about toxins and their effect on egg quality from the book, It Starts With the Egg by Rebecca Fett. And um, side note, the book is an amazing resource if you're wondering about your egg quality and what you might be able to do to help your egg quality. It has a ton of research back data to support the recommendations in the book. And I first heard about that book from Dr. Laura Shaheen. She's a fertility doctor in the Seattle area, and she specializes in recurrent pregnancy loss. I happened to be scrolling through my Instagram feed, and she had a post about the book, so I got curious and got a copy of the book. I've read it um, a couple of times, but I'll be honest, there's so much information in there. I think I have to read it a few more times to really get everything out of it that I need to. Um, Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer, she also has some great recommendations for egg quality. Um, She has some supplements that she recommends, and I know you guys have been asking about some supplement recommendations, so I'll drop a link to that um, and uh, to a couple of her podcast episodes that discuss this um, in the show notes. So add these guys to Jenna as resources. Um, When you listen to this episode, you will learn that Jenna is crazy knowledgeable in this arena. Okay, so like somehow she's able to get super detailed, but also keep her explanation super simple. If you're semi nerdy like me and you want to hear a little bit about the organic chemistry, but you don't have a PhD behind her recommendations, she does touch on some of this during the episode. So for example, we talked about polyaromatic hydrocarbons as a product of combustion, and she has strong feelings about this as it relates to candle burning. And we also talked about hydroxybenzoic acid, but in the next sentence, she's able to explain why these are issues in a super easy, digestible way. So you um, may have not noticed, but I just totally pretended to sound super smart, but it was all Jenna. She taught me all these new fancy words so I could pretend like I was being smart, <laughs> but I really have no idea what I'm talking about. But I learned all of this from Jenna. Like she really got into these details today and I, I just learned so much. I was so like sucked into the whole conversation. Um, during the conversation, she also shares with us her top five tips for making quick changes to reduce toxins in your life, and that may help you optimize your fertility. So I say we talked about five tips, but we went way deeper than the five tips. We kind of started talking and um there were some things that came up and we kind of just kept talking about it. So it does go a lot deeper than five tips, but she does have 
if you're new to all of this and wanting to kind of find an easy way to get started, these top five will uh, be good for you. Um, she has some amazing recommendations for products as well as databases. So you can use these databases to, to check your own products. She also has um, her team um, also can help you kind of dig into your products as well. So um, you can message them and talk to them about your products that you're curious about. If you can't find them in any databases, um, they're super helpful and happy to help you. And um, I think that's so amazing. Um, okay few housekeeping items. Number one, as always, I'm not a physician. And so the information I'm providing you today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So you want to make sure that you're consulting with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, Every person's situation is totally unique, and it is vital that you discuss your personal situation with your own fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. So you've also heard me ask you this before, but I'm going to ask you again today. <laughs> if you found value in the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review or a written review so that more people can get all these amazing tips and information into their ears. I also want to encourage you to continue making suggestions for future topics for me to cover on the podcast. Um, I want to make sure I'm helping you all learn more about your fertility um, as much as I can. So please, please, please keep the su suggestions, keep the recommendations coming. I love hearing them all. Um, and this part I just is, think is so crazy. I'm so grateful to all of you who are here and listening. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'm completely flabbergasted at where you all are listening from. So I was looking at some of the analytics and they give you like a little rundown of where people are listening from. 10% um, of you are listening from the UK. 7% of you are listening from Canada. Um, two percent of you are listening from Australia. Two percent of you are listening from Germany. Like, oh my gosh, my, my mind is blown. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I will continue to do my best to bring you information to help you along your fertility journey. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I also want to thank Jenna for being here today and trying to help our fertility, uh, making our fertility journey better. Um, she and her team um, are just so wonderful in the amount of information they're putting out to help us all and the work that they're doing to help reduce um, toxin exposure and the education that they're providing. So thank you so much, um, Jenna. Um, I really appreciate all the information that you've put out there for everyone to look at. Um, okay, you guys, I hope you have something to take notes with because Jenna dropped some serious knowledge. Are you ready? Here we go. Hi, I have Jenna Hua, your Dr. Jenna Hua, PhD. Um, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Victoria, for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. This actually, I feel like, is a super important topic to talk about because I think we were talking about this earlier, how it's kind of new or newer. And so it's hard to know what um, to do, what to eliminate, and you know what are the things that we should be concerned about, particularly when we're concerned about our fertility. But first, I just kind of wanted to hear about your fertility journey story, how you came to this space, and how you ended up um, kind of looking into toxins and how they affect us. I had a pretty rough fertility journey. 
Um, and then until today, I don't really have a clear answer of how I'm going to proceed. Um, so I started um, trying to have kids when I think when I was maybe 32. Um, now I'm four, 39. I'm turning 40 next year. Um, so, you know, literally the last eight years, um, I had four super, four late stage miscarriages. Each one happened between 20, 21 weeks. Mm. Um, and unfortunately the doctors couldn't find any cure or any reason like why I would keep having these miscarriages. I do have two super rare genetic condition that only happens during pregnancy, but unfortunately we don't really have a way to address these conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is ovarian overstimulation syndrome that only happens, that usually happens in IVF. Um, mm -hmm. However, for me, it's naturally occurring. My mm -hmm. ovary would have swollen up to soccer ball size, which oh is pretty dramatic as if I'm mm -hmm. carrying triplet. The second condition I have is pregnancy-induced cushions syndrome. So it's a manifestation of high cortisol. So when you have high cortisol, you just pretty much everything can go wrong in pregnancy would go wrong high high blood pressure as well as just gestational diabetes uh, many other many other issues so it's actually really um, dangerous for both mom and baby um, so unfortunately these two conditions added together I just couldn't carry through the pregnancy and I had the pregnancy loss so moving forward you know I have a couple options one is adoption one is surrogacy um, so we're just trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's next. Uh, sorry, long winded way for my, my fertility journey. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. You'd think people have been reproducing for thousands of years. We would have to figure it out. Um, but unfortunately not really. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's helpful when you have like two genetic anomalies that make it like exponentially more difficult. And they're not like ones that occur a lot these are rare mm -hmm. things that happen and so it's so hard to control that so yes I mean, that's super rare but that also I guess uh, that's part of my reason for starting Million Marker what I'm doing now um, because I studied I studied nutrition for undergrad and I was a dietitian and I went back to school to study environmental health because at the time I felt we need more changes in our food environment, you know, where we mm -hmm. buy our food, um, how we purchase our food, how many fast food outlet or grocery store around us all impact our health. So that's what I did in graduate school after becoming a dietitian. And from that on, I also realized, you know, it's not just what's in our food. It's, uh, it's not just where we buy our food. It's also what's in our food. So that's mm -hmm. why I started sort of like learning about environmental exposures um, internal exposure as well as external exposure. Uh, these environmental exposure we're talking about is, you know, the air you breathe, the food you eat, the products you use. Um, it all comes down also what's inside your body because if you and I have different genetics, even if we have the same amount of exposure, we want to respond very differently. So if you don't have this internal information, it's just not personalized. You don't really know what's going on in your body. Uh, so I ran into a wall in my research after PhD, uh, because at the time I was on the path to become a professor, <laughs> I ran into a wall. I, we had no data. We don't even know. We, one, we have no data to study these diverse exposures, also exposures at super low dose, but day in and day out, long-term long exposures. We have no data to study. We don't know their impact, really. Mm -hmm. 
And the second is we don't have tools to let people know how to optimize their exposures. There are good exposures and also really bad exposures. Green space is great, but when you talk about these harmful chemicals, they're really bad. And then we have no tools. And because I study these and then, you know, while I was going through my fertility struggle, when doctors just telling you, good luck next time they have no answer for you, obviously you start looking for answers. And because I study these things, I know they could impact fertility. Uh, when I went to the doctor to ask for, hey, is there a test that I can take to to learn about my exposure, what's happening inside of my body? Because I know what I ate, I know what I put into my body, but I want to see what's going on inside. They said the only test available is heavy metal. Mm. Um, it was very unsatisfying. And so for me, I really want a sense of assurance that I'm doing everything right. Or if I do find some kind of chemical culprit, then I want to address that. So then the next time when the doctor tells me, good luck next time when you're pregnant, I know I have better luck. Uh, so sort of created Million Marker out of my own personal necessity. Um, and I think it's also a really great way for anybody who's trying to conceive to learn about their chemical exposures and do something about it because we literally have like decades of study showing that high exposure to these chemicals are linked to worse outcome, fertility outcome, as well as children's outcome. Um, so you're talking about infertility in both men and women, diminished air quality, sperm quality, increased endometriosis, increased miscarriage. And then uh, when you get to the kid, there's like decreased IQ. You don't want your kid to have a lower IQ than other kids. Um, also ADHD, autism, allergy, and later in life, breast cancer, diabetes, you name it. It's literally decades of study showing that. And the question is, why don't we know about it? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't the public know about it? Mm -hmm. So there's like a huge gap in science translation. So I think having a tool like this will equip everyone, mm -hmm. not just people who are trying to conceive with this information and actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. So knowing that there are some chemicals that are not good or, or exposure to chemicals that aren't good, which do you think are the worst offenders? Um, so there are many. <laughs> yeah. We literally have about 85,000 chemicals in use today. We actually only have about 1% of them with sufficient safety data. Hmm. And out of those, many of them are this class of chemical we're calling hormone disrupting chemical or endocrine disrupting chemical, or some of the chemical could even be carcinogenic, uh, which means they could lead to cancer. Um, so there's just like a many of them. And then also within all these chemicals are, you know, another two class, people can split them into two classes. One is persistent chemicals, meaning they don't degrade um, in environment or in your body for a long, long, long time. So once you get exposed to them, you just have them for a long time. The second class is the more transient chemicals. So these chemicals, your body actually have natural detox mechanism to get, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is the encouraging part, part that our body is doing the work. Um, but that also means that because we have these persistent chemical exposures, that means we should have put less these transient chemicals into our body. So uh, some examples just to put into perspective, persistent chemicals that we're talking about, people might have heard about DDT. DDT is used as a pesticide back in the 70s, 80s, but it's been banned. But if you test someone's blood today, 
you will still find the DDT in that person's blood. Mm. Um, another example is the PFAS that people have heard about recently in the news quite a bit. That's PFAS is used on nonstick pens, Teflon pens. That's also a persistent chemical. Um, so it's going to live in your body for a long time. Uh, transient chemical that we're talking about, um, some pesticides are transient chemical. That's why we encourage people to eat organic versus um, conventional uh, farmed veggies or food. Um, BPA is another one. BPA is like almost the poster child of, uh, of chemicals because uh, it's now it's like manufacturer will label stuff as BPA free. Mm-hmm. Um, phthalates often used in fragrance uh and also personal care product, that's also a, a big one, uh, as well as paraben uh, used as preservatives in personal care products. So all of these are hormone-disrupting chemicals, meaning they mess with your hormone. So for people who are trying to conceive, you know how important the hormone is. You know, If you don't ovulate, that's completely controlled by your hormone. And also children's growth, like your baby's growth in your womb, is also completely controlled by hormone. So when your hormone is not in sync, when you have these foreign substances coming in at any amount, they could potentially cause downstream impact to your fertility and to your health. Is there is there a standard for like the exposure level? Like, I, I think that's the hard part too, right? There's, I, I don't know that there's an agreement with like how much is too much, how little is you know little enough. Nope, nope. Um, the only thing we have exposure when it comes to environmental toxin, if you think about lead, right? Lead, we have exposure levels. But lead, like if you think about 20-something years ago, we didn't have lead exposure levels. It took a long time for us to establish or to learn what's like the safe level. For all the chemicals, I just talk about pesticides, PFAS, um, BPA, phthalates, paraben, these chemicals, we actually have no standards. Like what's like a safe level. What we have seen is that any level is not good. These chemicals literally have no business being in your body. So any amount is not good. So there's always a way to decrease them. And also the other thing is uh, there's also issue with our traditional toxicology testing model, right? Before a chemical gets out that scientists do these testing, EPA approve the chemicals. What happened is this, these kind of traditional toxicology testing model is testing for the outcome, the end outcome, what they're testing is cancer or death. Oh, okay. Which is very problematic yes. because they don't test for fertility, you know, outcome. If you think about cancer or death, one, each con- cancer or death took a long time, right? And, and, and if that's the outcome, what about people's quality of life? Um, that's not considered in toxicology testing. Um, the second issue is when they test for chemicals, is they usually test for this, we call it dose response curve, meaning they test like zero gram, say for example, zero gram, 50 gram, 100 gram, like exponentially increase the amount because we always thought dose is a, uh, is a poison. The, amount, the higher the dose, the more you would, you, know, you would see this linear curve. Unfortunately, these chemicals that we're talking about, they actually don't follow this linear curve. So the lower the dose, actually we observe the higher the impact. So a lot of these chemicals, the impact actually happens between zero to one. Mm. And then if you don't test for that, there's no way you would know. That's why we've seen a ton of like association studies showing that these chemicals, when we 
when mom like exposed to higher amount of these chemical, they would have higher they would have a higher risk for certain issues, and their kid would have higher risk for certain issues. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you know you're just starting out on this fertility journey and you're just trying to eliminate toxins from your life, what would be like your top five to 10 tips to give someone who's like just starting out, has no idea what to eliminate, doesn't know, you know, what um, chemicals specifically they should be looking at. What would be your like top five to 10 tips you would tell someone? I have that just for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number one is plastic. Um, try to eliminate as much plastic as possible. We kind of have this love and hate relationship with plastic, right? It's like you can't ever get completely get rid of plastic because they're just like everywhere. Um, but make sure that if you can, please do, because a lot of plastic uh, plasticizer chemicals are um, are harmful, and some of the plastic may contain up to eighty percent either BPA or phthalates. Oh. BPA is actually used to make the plastic shatterproof, and phthalates is making plastic flexible. So they being used as additive in large amount in plastics. So, and now when we talk about plastics, not just plastic. Now there's like a microplastic and nanoplastic. Yeah. It's unfortunately, it's the consequences of the plastic. And if you think about these even smaller plastic pieces if they're made of 80 percent phthalates or bpa they're gonna carry these things and when they become really small size they penetrate like we literally found moms like a placenta would have plastic in it Mm. they found people's stool has plastic in it these microplastic so i think avoiding plastic is like the number one tip would you say like Um, all plastic like all plastic is bad because is it when it's heated that it's bad like let's say you use like a brita water jug right because it's cold water like is that still bad or it's not as bad as you heat them. So never heat plastic and never microwave plastic. And also never put a syringe wrap on top of your food and then microwave it. Okay. Um, because the heat will actually increase the release and the leaching of these chemicals. And also pay attention on your water bottle, right? If you use a plastic water bottle, don't leave it under the sun. Don't leave it in your car. I often mm. see people buy, first of all, people buy plastic water bottle. And then, uh, or like a just water bottle uh, made of plastic, right? They put it in their car, and then that car is is baking the sun. That can be good for you. I'm pretty sure you you're you're, you're ingesting uh, some of these harmful chemicals. So I think a plastic is the number one. And also another thing to look out for is the recycling symbol on the usually underneath like uh, your Tupperware, for example, or any plastic container. Not all plastic are created equal. So one, two, five are generally better. And those simple one, two, five are generally better. The rest of them are bad. Seven is like the worst. Seven is like other. So they have usually have a mixture of these harmful chemical in it. Um, So pay attention on that. If you, you know, if you have young kids and, you know, if you don't want to carry like a heavy glass container or stainless steel container, you can consider a silicone bag, like a silicone, um, also, not all silicones are created equal. So choose oh, okay. platinum-based silicone because uh, uh, platinum-based silicone usually don't use fillers and don't have harmful contaminants. So 
two brands that we uh, recommend. Uh, one is called ZipTop. One is called Stasher. Both brands make these platinum-based silicone for food storage. So, um, you know, if you don't want to, yeah, again, if you don't want to use your glass container or uh, stainless steel for carrying around, or if you have young kids, you don't you don't want them to throw around like a glass container. Silicone is a is a good choice. So I would say that's like the for like number one tip because these things also comes into contact with your food, right? If you think yeah. about where your exposures are coming from, it's again it's what you eat and it's also what you put on your body. Yeah. So for silicone, can you heat it or is heating it still bad? Silicone, you can heat it. Silicone is supposed to innate. Uh, so you usually it wouldn't do much leaching, but make sure you choose platinum-based silicone. Mm-hmm. Silicone is also, you know, it's sometimes we face this dilemma, you know, do you do things good for your health uh, at the same time balancing doing things good for the environment? Yeah. You know, so because like we know recycling is good for the environment, but sometimes the recycled stuff is not that great. Uh because if you think about it, your toilet paper, that's also another tip, particularly for people trying to conceive, we recommend people to use bamboo-based toilet paper rather than recycled toilet paper. Because when you do recycling, all these receipts and other things that actually have BPA, it's going to get all blended and it's going to show up in your recycled stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then we know recycling is good for the environment. Yeah. Right? That's, a, that's sort of a dilemma that we're facing. You you just kind of have to pick your battle depending on where you are, which stage of life you're at. Yeah. Uh, same as silicone. Silicone is actually not biodegradable in the environment. Uh, while it's good for human health and fine for human health, and then you, you know, it's convenient, mm-hmm. it's actually not biodegradable. So it's actually not great for the environment. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to eliminate plastic, consider silicone. And then what about glass versus metal? Is one better than the other? Glass versus metal, just depending on what, what you use it for. Uh, we recommend people not to store acidic food in metal because that could increase the leaching of heavy metal. So if you have like a lemon juice or any, like a salad with a lot of lemon juice or vinegar, use glass rather than, uh, rather than uh, stainless steel. But glass is also slightly heavier than st- stainless steel. So just depending on, you know, what are you doing that day and uh, what's the function of it. But I would say glass yeah. is probably the safest. Okay. All right. Step one, eliminate plastic. <laughs> okay. Tip two. Yes. Tip two. Sorry. Long, long answer for tip no, one. No, no, no. I asked you questions. No, I wanted to know more. So no, 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 please. Okay. T- I, I love this. I love all this info. Okay. Tip two is be a mindful shopper. When you shop for personal care product, avoid fragrance. Fragrance is the, like the code uh, for phthalates. Uh, many of the fragrance anytime, and the fragrance there are actually over, many of the fragrance actually like made of like over 3,000 different chemicals. It's usually a proprietary proprietary kind of information for manufacturers. So that's why it's a very ambiguous term that they label in your product. But pretty much all fragrance have phthalates. So if you see fragrance, opt out for free, fragrance, opting for fragrance free, opt out for fragrance. And manufacturers started using ambiguous term like aroma um, oh. in place for fragrance. So also watch out for that. Uh, so ditch fragrance, ditch perfume, ditch aroma. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Also, watch out for unscented because unscented is actually a scent oh. that could still have phthalates. So, yeah, look out for fragrance free. So, it may not actually say phthalates, phthalates on there. It may say um, fragrance or aroma or whatever. So, you may exactly. not actually see it on there. Exactly. You won't see it. You will see, but you will see fragrance. So, fragrance that would be in like, mm, like face cream, body lotion everything yeah what about like like hairspray shampoo oh yes 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 <laughs> shampoo hairspray uh all-purpose cleaner your laundry detergent your dishwasher detergent uh your soap um any anytime there's like good smelly stuff you know like check out if they have fragrance or not i would opt in for no fragrance so what about if they have in there like fragrance with like essential oils or something is that okay this is interesting um we don't have a clear answer for that um that's just a a fact (laughs) because depending on where that essential oil is made and how it's made um, the quality would be different. If essential oil, say it's made by food grade processing, it's made at a food grade processing plant, everything's clean, they use stainless steel for distilling that oil, great, that, that essential oil is, is fine. That, that essential oil, if that essential oil is used as fragrance, it's totally fine. But if you think about it, if this manufacturing facility were abroad somewhere, that they use plastic to collect the flowers, herbal substance that they use, they make the essential oil, and then they distill using plastic. Then all these like plastic material is going to leach into that essential oil. And then you think about it when it's added to the product. I mean, it's, it's contaminated. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't really have a way to know what's exactly in the product. Um, I would say use fragrance free mm-hmm. um and candles candles have fragrance okay i have a strong opinion about candle. <laughs> okay you know what you know when you're trying to conceive you you know you want to create this environment that you know create an environment for you and your partner i mean that's understandable and a candle is very romantic and everything right mm-hmm. and then there are also there are Okay, in my opinion, I'm just <laughs> okay. going to say it. That yes, I don't yes. think a candle is a good idea. Um, so there are manufacturers started making better candle that, you know, doesn't have all the harmful substance and everything, use essential oil and great. And use soy-based candle. Mm-hmm. Um, or coconut. I've these, seen coconut wax. Coconut-based candle, mm-hmm. right? So wax, this is, this is all good. At least, like, it's less exposure. Uh, where I'm coming from, from sort of a, as an environmental health scientist, is when you're burning that candle, you're actually creating the substance called polyaromatic hydrocarbon. It's just from combustion, from burning that candle. That's actually an air pollutant. You're literally, by burning candle at home, you're creating particulate matter. You know, if you mm. if you hear about air quality and then you know like PM two point five, right? PM two point five is like particular matter that's gonna penetrate your lung. Is actually could carry carcinogens. It's not good for your health. Okay, by burning candle, you're actually creating that, and then you could be creating hi- like a polyaromatic hydrocarbon. That's just part of the burning process. So I would say like use candle in spare, like sparingly. Um, 
you know, if you really want to create that environment, great. Like do it once in a while, but don't do it every day, especially indoor. Okay. I just do it because I have a lot of pets. <laughs> and so Aww. I have a lot of pets. So sometimes I'm like, you know what? I need to, uh, I need to make sure that we're like that. It's, it doesn't smell like cat litter all the time. <laughs> Cause I well, have pets. I mean, in that case, like if you find a good essential oil, you know, with a good manufacturer uh, process, it's a good essential oil. Use a diffuser instead of using, uh, instead yeah, of using yeah. um, candle. Yeah. But is it hard to find? Because I can't imagine that an essential oil company has all that information on how they distill their oil and all that stuff. Are there are there any brands that you like? We, the, I think there are a few. I can't remember on top of my head. If people are interested, we can dig into, you know, what we have, because like part of our services, we have been looking at what product people are using. We're constantly being introduced to new brand. We're check, constantly checking out new brand. I'm pretty sure we can find um, some of the product that our user have used that we audited um, as a team. Um, so that would be, I we can definitely look into that and provide that information. But I think a rule of thumb also is if you're curious about it, um, you can email the manufacturer oh, okay. uh, about it and ask them these very pointed questions. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's an indication if they have an answer for you, that means they have thought about this and mm-hmm. they have an answer and then they take this seriously. And then that's a good sign for a company that because they value transparency, right? But if mm-hmm. they don't even have an answer for you, they don't even know what you're talking about, then that's kind of a bad sign. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, step one. Plastic. Step two, fragrance. Okay, keep going. Yes. <laughs> Step three is uh, trying to eat in as much as possible. Um, don't eat out too much because when you're eating out, especially for fast food, you cannot control the food quality. And also you cannot control the food contact material that people, you know, what happens in the restaurant. They could be putting a hot soup in a plastic container, right? Or Tupperware, whatever that they're using and then serve it to you. The second is um, besides these plasticizer chemicals, we're also talking about pesticides. So some of the pesticides are also hormone-disrupting chemicals. By eating out, you have no control over that part. And then also, if you eat out for fast food, uh, a lot of these PFAS chemicals are also using food, you know, fast food wrappers. Mm. That's also not good for you. And lastly, is like eating out. You know, also it's not good for your nutrition, right? You can't be eating out at Eating out just to have less control or also over your nutrition. You could be, you could be eating like a lot of fat and a lot of oil that's not optimal for your fertility or for your health. So, and then by eating in, you kind of like also increase your bonding time with your family. So socially speaking, uh, that's also a good thing. So eating is uh, is uh, is uh, the third tip. So eating in, I have I have more questions. <laughs> so eating in. Because if you're cooking, um, so you want to stay away from Teflon, all nonstick, or yes. are some nonstick okay? Because there's some new coating stuff that people are coming out with, um, like you know, new stuff that's nonstick, but mm-hmm. it's it's not Teflon. It's a, another you know version of something. So should you just use like stainless steel pans or iron or? Yeah, I, I recommend to use stainless steel or cast iron or ceramic. Um, these three are 
generally safe and then especially stainless steel and cast iron the pot will just last you a long time you don't ever have to buy it again um but with with non-stick stuff even though people say it's pfoa free or pfas free there is a high chance they could be using an alternative um this is what scientists call the regrettable substitutes and this is what happened with bpa is when bpa got banned manufacturers started using bps and bpf they can literally swap a letter from bpa all the way to bpz you wouldn't even know mm. and these chemicals are just as bad as bpa if not worse mm. So it's it's the same thing with PFAS is mm-hmm. even if it's labeled PFOA, PFOS free, there's a whole class of this PFAS chemical over thousands of these chemicals. Mm-hmm. They could simply make a swap and it's just as bad. Mm-hmm. So avoidance would be key. Mm-hmm. So I would choose, I would invest on getting cast iron or, um, or um, stainless steel mm-hmm. instead of, uh, instead of nonstick. Okay. Number one, plastic. Number two, fragrance. Number three, eat in. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, number four is uh, think about your water, like your water source. So we highly suggest people to use a water filter. So having a filter is better than no filter. Uh, but if you can get your hands on a, a, a reverse osmosis filter, get that. It's sort of a, a catch-all filter because we have seen uh, not just heavy metals in our drinking water, but you also have, obviously, you have BPA phthalates. You could have these substances. And on, in addition, you could have PFAS in your water. So many other chemicals. So I think having a water filter is pretty essential. Okay. And then, so I had mentioned a little bit earlier um, the filter. So if a reverse osmosis filter is not an option, what's like the next best one because like there's Brita filters out there and then there's this one I've seen I forget the name of it but it's almost it looks almost like a little sachet it almost looks like a tea bag filled with something mm-hmm. and then you put it in this like metal filter thing I don't remember the name of it I wish I remember so what's what's the if you can't do a reverse osmosis option what's the next best option I think a Brita is okay there are so many water filters out there um I think in general um if you choose a water filter, many of the water filters actually need to, manufacturer will choose to get certified. So there is a certification body called NSF. So if you buy a, a water filter, if there's any NSF kind of certification, I would choose that. That's just an easy way to do. Um, we have curated a, several filter on our website. I think most of them are reverse osmosis, but there are a few that's not. Uh, people can take a look. And then lastly, having a Brita filter is still better than no filter. Uh, but the, the other thing to consider is if you use a Brita filter or any other filter, make sure you change the core of the filter once in a while or based on manufacturer uh, guideline. Recommendation. Because yeah. if, you don't cha- if you don't change that, it's, it's not going to do its job. It might just do worse, right? Mm-hmm. And does it, because the water sits in there, you know, depending if you drink enough water, um, let's say, let's say Brita, cause I have a Brita, so I keep bringing it up. Um, it's plastic and it's sitting in the fridge and it's cold. That's better, right? That's still okay. Cause in theory, if you're drinking water every day, it doesn't sit in the pitcher for that long. Right. So the chances of that being a problem is lower. Is that right or no? It's, it's lower. It's definitely lower. Temperature definitely helps. Um, and Brita filter, I think it's using, probably uh, propylene like plastic that's so that's like a better plastic 
or P PET glass, uh, PET PET uh, plastic. So those are better plastic. Um, we we don't have an answer to say okay for sure this won't leach. Yeah, because uh, this leaching is really depending on what kind of condition, what kind of stuff you put in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, it shouldn't leach. So as long as you don't make sure the the plastic pitcher is not damaged, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a lot of scratch, you you bend it somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. like if it, the glass, no, if the 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 pitcher is damaged, then mm-hmm. I would definitely change it because damage will cause leaching. Oh, okay. um, but if you, you know, put it in a fridge in general, it's fine. Just make sure you change the core, the filter mm-hmm. once in a while, according mm-hmm. to recommendation. Okay. All right. So what was that? Four? I think that was four. Five. Yeah, four. <laughs> What's five? Okay. Five is uh, uh, be a mindful shopper. Um, don't, when you go shop, don't touch receipts. That's like, a, that's actually like a pretty big culprit for BPA exposure or BPS or BPF. Um, so have your receipt email it to you instead of touching it. Um, and then also bring your own shopping bag, avoid plastic again, fun there. Um, and then lastly is that, you know, read labels, trying to read label. We mentioned about fragrance, you know, in order to recognize fragrance is in your product, you need to read that label. So there are a couple other tips when it comes to reading label. Um, this is for me, I think this is the easiest why I first started this journey because there are so many ingredients, so many chemicals out there. Yes. I can't remember all the thing, right? Yeah. So I think the easiest way for me to start recognizing this chemical is uh, other than fragrance is uh, um, BPA is not going to be labeled, but some canned food will label BPA free. Um, that's still better than no label, right? So if you buy, if you eat canned food, opting for a BPA free can. That's one, reading that label. Mm-hmm. Second, on personal care product, uh, fragrance we already talked about. Other thing is paraben is also that we talked about, right? So paraben in personal care product, it will be labeled as paraben, but sometimes it will also indicate what kind of paraben. Paraben is an interesting case because as a preservative, is quite effective. So oftentimes it's also used in over-the-counter creams like hydrocortisol cream we've seen a lot of people using it to treat their eczema or treat mm-hmm. other condition itch or other conditions across the board we have not found good over-the-counter ornament or cream that's free of paraben if that's a necessity that you absolutely have to use it use sparingly again if you don't have to use it don't use it but that's the one thing that's really hard to get rid of um, but not all paraben are created equal so sometimes um, in the product label, it will label what kind of paraben. So there are four kinds of paraben usually get used, methyl, ethyl, propyl, and butyl. These letters are just means the chain of the sort of the chemistry wise is like the long, the chain, uh, the, the length of the carbon chain on the paraben. So butyl is like four, it's the longest. So as the chain gets longer, it gets more toxic. Mm. So people just need, remember, if you see butyl paraben, on your product, instead of just paraben, definitely ditch that because butyl paraben is quite toxic. So that's like one thing to look out for paraben. But in general, in if it's not over-the-counter cream or anything, if it's just in general personal care product, if you see paraben, ditch that. Um, and another one, uh, a few other ones, I think it's really easy to recognize is oftentimes you will see on the back of the, the label, these cap letters. 
Because that's the easiest thing because there, there's like so many ingredients and then you will mm-hmm. see these cap letters. Those are mm-hmm. really easy to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see, most of the time, the cap letters I have seen are usually EDTA. EDDTA is, is like a filler, is like an anti-thickening, anti-cracking agent that used in personal care products. And that's actually weekly genotoxic toxic and it actually caused reproductive harm in animal studies. So if you see EDTA, ditch that too. And oftentimes you will see also see PEG, PEG or PPG. These are, um, these are petroleum-based product uh, ingredients. And uh, usually when you have petroleum-based ingredients, you would have much higher chance of contamination of pH or dioxin. These two are carcinogen as well as hormone-disrupting chemical. So whenever you see these like cap letters, um, try to ditch them. Okay. Oh, and then the last thing is uh, uh, glycerin. Glycerin, a lot of people use, but if you have, if you see glycerin on your product ingredient label, trying to choose vegetarian based glycerin because regular glycerin, it has the same issue with all the PEG and PPG kind of petroleum based um, ingredients. It is derived from petroleum, so it could have contamination issues. Okay. So um, in food is like natural flavors, kind of the food version of uh, fragrance? Right, right, right. Natural flavor is, again, kind of like fragrance. It could be created by so many different things, um, and you just have no idea. Um, So, yeah, avoid natural flavor. Also, when it comes to food, this is kind of interesting. Also with paraben, uh, uh, another reason why we want people to eat in, if you eat all the packaged food or eating out, paraben have been used in packaged food as preservatives and they're not even labeled as paraben so it's very hard to recognize sometimes they're labeled as hydroxybenzoic acid <laughs> so like a mm-hmm. mouthful you wouldn't yeah. recognize that but that's actually paraben mm. okay got it so basically <clears throat> uh Get food from the ground, <laughs> cook it at home. <laughs> right. Or if it's not from the ground, uh, get like raw meats or whatever you're going to eat and then cook it yourself at home. Right. <laughs> it's so interesting. I think one thing worked for me because I know um, many people who are 35 or older, if you're trying to conceive, you're probably working. You have focused on your career, you know, for the longest yeah. time. And now you're thinking about having kids. I'm pretty sure you're busy, right? Um, yeah. I think one thing worked for me is batch cooking in the past. So I would batch, you know, I would batch cook on the weekend and then put them in the containers and then freeze them. Yeah. In glass container, freeze them. And then when you eat it, when you're ready to eat, you just microwave. Um, yeah. So then this helps you save a lot of time and then you don't have to mm-hmm. eat out. It's stored in a glass container. You don't have to worry about it. You could, you cook it at home so you can control your, yeah. your, your food quality. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is off topic for a second, only because you mentioned it and made me think about it. But how do you feel about microwaves? Microwave, <laughs> it's a it's a hard one. It's a hard one because it's so convenient. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't have to use a microwave, sure, don't use a microwave. Mm-hmm. But it's so convenient. I still have a microwave at home yeah. because it's really that, convenient. Yeah, some I know some people feel strongly about using a microwave where they feel like, you know what, it is better if you don't. And some people are like, ah, it's really not that bad. So I didn't know what your thoughts were on that. But at least what you can do is when you are microwaving, don't stand next to the microwave, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think like, and obviously you should not have microwave in your, in your, in your bedroom. Because people also talk about electronic me- 
because people talk about EMF field, right? Like electronomagnetic. So I think a, another rule of thumb is uh, we do want to take prevention um, seriously. And this precautionary principle kind of we talked about is, is um, you know, if you know something can potentially be bad, then you should try to avoid the same as electronic, same as microwave. If you don't have to have it, sure, don't have it. But especially in the bedroom that, you know, next to your sleep, you know, when you sleep, like make sure you turn your, your cell phone to airplane mm-hmm. mode. And then best is like, it's not even your bedroom yeah. and definitely not having a TV in your bedroom, mm-hmm. right? Like don't put your computer, like have your electronic somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I, cause I heard, I, I think, I think I saw something actually for the California Department of Public Health that issued a statement at one point in time that talked about cell phones and, you know, cause a lot of times we sleep with them cause it's my alarm clock. Right. So I sleep with it by me. And so they said, you know, try and at least keep it not underneath your pillow or not right next mm-hmm. to your head or something like that. Like keep it a little further away from you if you have to keep it next to you. Right. So it's just interesting. I know I, I digress. Okay. That was five, right? Six. Yeah, there's, yes, there's, a, since we're yes, on this topic, there's another thing is, uh, I think there's also research showing, um, this is for men, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I think there's research showing if they keep using the laptop on their, on their leg, mm-hmm. on close to their growing area, mm-hmm. the heat is also not great for mm-hmm. sperm. Yeah. Not good for um their reproductive function. Yeah. So that's another thing is like, Hey, get a, get a proper desk. Don't put the laptop on. Yeah. Or I think there, there, there's also like those lap things that you can use, you know, as like a barrier. They have like a, a lap thing. I don't remember. I don't know what they're called, but, but they're so ugly. <laughs> that's okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm all about function. I'm uh, not fashion. So I'm like, I'm, I'm okay if they're ugly. <laughs> like I'll, I'll deal with it. If I can keep it, if I can, make it easier for me while I'm working or something like that. I'm like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it. Uh, okay. Six was it, it was six, I think. Right. Are we on six? Five. Yeah. We're, we're five now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those are the top five tips. Okay. I don't know if people want to know more or if they remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can always replay this. <laughs> they can always replay it, but I think those are really five really great tips to start with. Um, especially if, like you haven't done anything. And I actually, um, I've done some of it. I haven't done all of it, but I think the important thing to say too, is it's really hard to do like full elimination of everything. Like, Mm -hmm. so I, I think we have to be careful not to get so fixated and so obsessed that we beat ourselves up for not being like a hundred percent on everything. Cause it's so hard. Yeah. If you think about it, like your body, we talk about hormones, right? We don't want our hormones to be out of whack. Cortisol is also very important. That's a stress hormone. So if you're like stressed out about things all the time, that's, that can be good. So we like when it comes to detox and then practicing sort of a um, healthy lifestyle, we want people to take small step one at a time. You don't have to do all at once. And it also can be costly too. So you definitely don't want to do all at once. I would consider like, think about what's your highest exposure. I would start with food. Anything comes in contact with food, I would start from there. And then when you get into your bedroom or bathroom, that you think about it, what product do you use every day and then use in quite a bit, like a large amount? You know, I would consider like shampoo and conditioner. I use that every day. And then 
that would be like one thing I would check if they has fragrance and they have other problematic ingredient, I would swap that out because I use it every day in large amount. Uh, or if you, you know, if you wash clothes all the time and then because you use so much laundry detergent or you use dishwasher detergent, I would like change those. Okay. Like that would be the, my starting point. And if you have, you know, if you just purchased a bunch of product that you don't want to, you know, throw it away, it's fine. Um, just next time when you buy something, buy a better product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of products, your, your website has like a database of products that you guys have, is it that you've tested or researched or how do you come to these? We research, we have not tested. Um, initially we didn't even want to curate a database, like a, a, a product database. We, we thought there are quite a bit of resources out there already. If people are interested, they can definitely check out MadeSafe. MadeSafe is a, uh, is a nonprofit that they certify products. There's environmental working yeah. group, EWG. They also have a database. There are apps like uh, um, Think Dirty. That's also another app. They sell products. Um, but what we found is that when we first started doing this, one is our customers were telling us, okay, it's too overwhelming. I don't need a whole huge list. It's too much work. Just give me a smaller list. That was one feedback we got. And then second, when we started looking, because based on that feedback, we started looking at these databases. So before we start curating the product, we start looking at what's being done at EWG and MadeSafe. And then we realized a lot of, because we want to be able to provide all the customer, everybody with the evidence, like why we're doing this. So we've realized that some of the evidence, at least the scientific study they cited is like a bit out of date. Or whenever there's data gap, it's like, rated as as uh, you know fine versus like letting people know there is a data gap because having a data gap doesn't mean it's safe mm -hmm. uh, so then this prompted us to end up curating our own list uh, we actually published our criteria as a blog like how we do this process do our due diligence so we check all the ingredients we check with the manufacturer to make sure their manufacturing process doesn't have contamination what kind of lining they're using do they use pfas and so like we check all these things before we curate that list so people can definitely check out we also have a, a chemical glossary list that listed you know what is this chemical um, in your ingredient label is doing like what's the function of it where would you find it what kind of health impact it could have. So if people want to learn more, they can also check out our chemical glossary. Okay. No, that's really great. I mean, I think a, uh, part of it too, like I, I am not a scientist, so I don't know all of these different chemicals. So I think it's really great that you guys have a glossary for that. And the same thing with the products. It is really overwhelming because sometimes you don't know these code words that are in there that signify mm -hmm. something else and you're like oh it says and then there's that whole greenwashing thing right too that exists and it's like oh it's fragrance free or it's organic or whatever it's like in theory everything is organic if it has carbon and you know like i'm like so it's like well isn't isn't that technically you know so i feel like it can be really misleading and it can mm -hmm. also be really confusing to know what truly is good. So it's nice to have places to go that you can look at, at least know like uh, within this space, all of this is safe. So right. I think that's a really nice option because it is like you look at these things and you look at the back of a shampoo bottle. It's like 
it takes you like 10 minutes to read all the ingredients in there. And half of the time you don't know what any of it is. You know what I mean? So it's nice to just have that, that list that's available. Yeah. That's our goal is to make it easy. So you don't have to do the homework. We'll do the homework for you. Yeah. Which is super nice. It makes it really nice. And then, so as far as all the chemicals go, what chemicals can be tested like in a human. So like if I wanted to get tested to see what my toxin exposure was, what are the actual chemicals that we can test for? We can test for pretty much anything that we know of. We can test except not all the tests are available. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, our testing ability, we, we have the testing ability. It just the service is not available for the general public. Many of mm-hmm. the chemical can only be tested in research setting or be tested at the CDC. Um, mm. And that's part of the reason why we exist. Um, uh, so as I mentioned, there are persistent chemicals and also transient chemicals. Mm-hmm. Usually for persistent chemical, it needs to be tested using intravenous blood. So that requires you get blood draw and then get that tested. Mm-hmm. For transient chemicals, because your body metabolizes these chemicals, it, you pee out in your pee. So mm-hmm. we can test in urine these transient mm-hmm. chemicals. Mm-hmm. So the million marker test, it tests for... Toxin transient. exposure, yes. transient. Okay. And um, that is done with urine? Yes, that's done with urine. And how does uh, that work? So people can simply purchase the test kit online. We ask you to complete an exposure journal before you submit your sample because your exposure journal helps us pinpoint where your exposures are coming from. And we also do a really comprehensive product audit for you, literally looking at all the ingredients of all your products that you're using. So we'll point out not only the chemicals that we test, but any problematic ingredients that's in your product will let you know. So then you submit your sample, your P sample to us. We get it analyzed. We let you know your levels, how you compare with our existing users, how you compare with the national average, and then again, exactly what you can do to reduce these levels. Then you can decide if you want to come back, get tested again, or just track. Because I think the experience is pretty powerful when you see the changes that you made is paying off, that your, your levels are decreasing. Mm-hmm. And are all the levels that you're testing for um, important for fertility? So for those of us who are going through um, infertility treatment and stuff like that, would you say that everything that's on your test are things that we worry about? Or are there like a top three or four or five that we should be most concerned about? Uh, all of them are because this panel, so we test for BPA, BPA alternative, BPS, BPF, uh, five of the phthalates and four parabens and as well as oxybenzone. So all of them are hormone disrupting chemicals. So we should avoid all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once you get, once you get the test, you fill out the journal and do, when you fill out the journal for the exposure, the exposure journal you're talking about, do you end up writing like the brand and whatever that you're using? Like if you're using shampoo, you're like, whatever, herbal essences, whatever shampoo. Is that the, what you would do for a journal? You, you can do that if you want, but we know it takes a long time. So we actually invested in building our app. So you can either scan a barcode or um, send, simply snap a photo. We prefer people to snap a photo because barcode actually, barcode database is not often updated. So we wouldn't get, we would get inaccurate results. So we ask people to snap a photo of exact product. If you can even snap a photo of the ingredients so we can help you do the audit. Okay. That's fascinating. Oh my gosh. That's so great. And then, so you would get a report with 
your scores, or I don't know what to call it, your results. <laughs> and then- Yeah, your results, we report back the levels, like what's your level look like, how you compare with others. And then you uh, you would do that. And then you also get recommendations, what you should avoid mm-hmm. using. Mm-hmm. And then, so right. let's say I get my results back, they're crazy high, and then I make changes. How long before you notice a change? So uh, theoretically speaking- that your body, if you eliminate the sources, your body will get rid of these toxins within 24 to 48 hours. So it's pretty short. Um, The issue though, is when people don't pay attention, then they just get this continuous exposure. Okay. And then, so this is for the transient chemicals, right? Is there a way to test for the persistent chemicals? Um, Yes. Yes, there is a way to test them, but there, um, I think maybe only one or two labs potentially have this and you would require a doctor's order to do this. So if you see like a functional specialist, they can probably order it for you through Great Plain Laboratory or Genova Diagnostic. These are the two uh, labs that, that we know, but the report, just like your physician will probably need to help you interpret the report. The issue we see with uh, testing for persistent chemical is there's not much you can do about it. Right, I see. Like you're being exposed, they're literally just living your body. So yeah, you get that test report. So what? Like, yeah. What else can you do? Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's it's not super useful. Um, you know, if even if you want to certain diagnoses, having that information is still not going to help you that much. Yeah. I see what you're saying because unless you, you know, unless you actually have like occupational exposures or something. Yeah. But so if you're, if you're at least minimizing your transient exposure, your total toxin level is still less. So that's still better for you. Exactly. Exactly. That's why we think these transient chemicals are really important because there's, we can't control the persistent chemical if once we get exposed to them. This makes transient chemical really important because research have also shown we're getting when you get exposed to this toxic cocktail, when you, the more you have, then the more damage mm-hmm. they do. These chemicals could actually have synergistic mm-hmm. effect. So when you get exposed to PFAS, BPA, phthalates, all these things at the same time, they actually do more harm than just like mm-hmm. one of them. Like, do you, what do you think we can or should do? I know this is like a tough question, but how do we talk about this more? Because I know, like I had mentioned before, I went to my dermatologist because um, I had gotten, I, it turns out, I think it was like a stress rash, but we were talking about creams and things like that. And I, you know, I told him, Hey, I use things. I try to avoid, you know, these things in, in my lotions and stuff. And then he kind of just dismissed it. Like, where do you think that disconnect is where do you think and that was like a dermatologist and he's like yeah you know I feel like that's they kind of overhype that and I'm like uh, I don't know because my fertility specialist was felt strongly about it you know like that we should avoid it so I'm like I feel like this is important and these hormone disrupting chemicals are a real thing so we're, I, I know it's hard and I know there's not like a real answer but what do you think we can do to kind of educate more people on this so more people can limit their exposure. Oh my God, this is, I can go on and on about this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A few things. I think there's a huge gap in medical education because most of the physicians, they don't get educated on this topic. So you can't really blame them for not knowing because their medical school is like, is already pretty full. Even if you want to specialize like, learning about this, this will 
this will happen in a, like your fellowship stage. It's like a way after medical school. And even when you get there, you only mainly focus on occupational exposure, which is like super high exposure, like really like life, like death, kind of like cancer, that kind of state of exposure. These everyday exposure, it's just not even talked about. And if you think about like when we, when we have a health issue, the first person we go talk to is a physician. So when a physician is not equipped with this knowledge, of course, the public will know, right? So I think that's like a one issue is like, like physician needs to, more physician needs to be trained on this. So then their patient can be trained. The public can be trained. That's one. Second is I think we need more transparency in product. Um, consumer really shouldn't be, we shouldn't be bearing this burden for having to oh, check labels and then, you know, like do all these things. The product before they put out to the world, it should be safe already. Um, so I think here is where we can have kind of a citizen science kind of consumer collaborative kind of pushing demand for better product and voting. I think this is where voting with your dollars really matters. Um, when you buy better product, you send signal to manufacturers to make better product. And also, you know, one of the, one of the mission for million markers, once we collect enough data, we want to help push for safer environmental policies because when policy come policymaker, when they come to make policies, they just one excuse they often have is, oh, we don't have enough data to demonstrate this is actually harmful or not. But we have, we literally have decades of data, uh, but we want to curating more data so then we we can create this consumer demand. Hey, this is what we're being exposed to and this is what we demand and we want a better product, we want a better policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think too, it's interesting and, and I could see why, um, and I didn't bring it up to to bash that dermatologist. I, I was bringing it up merely to make a point that there's still a lot of people who don't know about it. And I think, like you said, it's difficult. Like you said, their training is really hard to... Um, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of a newer thing too. Cause like I, we grew up in the eighties and nineties where like it pesticides everywhere. <laughs> you get some pesticides, right, right. you get some pesticides, you get some pesticides. Like it was just, it was not like anything that we really, you know, I think thought a whole lot about. And I think it's probably just been in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 right. that this has been, right starting to come up more and I'm not gonna lie I remember when it I first started seeing like the BPA free plastic stuff I'm like what is this I'm like ah is that really a thing and then you know afterwards I'm like oh I did some reading I'm like oh okay it is a thing (laughs) it is important you know so I I think that's true in in that um it it is hard because they have a lot on their plate already um but I do think that having that discussion at their level might be good. And then hopefully at some point in time, they can start, you know, as part of the screening process, maybe add testing, you know, to see what the exposure is and do that as maybe part of your regular screening. You screen for cholesterol, that sort of thing. Maybe during that time, a test can come in where, you know, they can test for um, toxin exposure or anything like that. Cause you know, for, a long time when kids were younger, you know, you screen, you have lead exposure, mm-hmm. you know, and you would test for exposure to lead and that sort of thing. So, I mean, 
you know, if, if we could maybe think about doing something like that for, you know, for all of us to just kind of minimize, but it's hard because some of these products, when they're safer are more expensive and that's hard sometimes when it's more expensive and you have to balance the economics behind the health. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's our goal. We're hoping one day the test can be become part of the routine clinical care. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you go to your annual checkup, even better, kind of like your dental cleaning yeah. twice a year that's covered by insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Taking a test to keep yourself on check, mm-hmm. making sure that your burden is a chemical load, burden load is low. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. And that'll also make the test to be more accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and simultaneously that using that data, we can do many good things for better policy, better environment, mm-hmm. um, because eliminating, because a lot of these chemicals are petroleum-based chemicals, they're, made, they're based on fossil fuel. So again, by decreasing these chemicals and decreasing the use of these chemicals, mm-hmm. it's also better for the environment. Yeah. Like think about you having a, a kid and you kind of, you want your kid to live in a good environment, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, if the environment is bad, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want nice green trees. <laughs> clean lakes, you know? And I, I mean, they're even saying too, with plastics, we're ingesting some of it if we're eating fish because the mm-hmm. fish or the shrimp or whatever, right. because of the exposure of plastics in the ocean, that we're ingesting right. some of those plastics while, um, while we're ingesting our food, which is like another important reason why, you know, you want to think about eliminating plastic from your use, because then you're just, not only is it just from you know, the stuff that you drink or eat or whatever, but also like if you're actually physically like eating chunks of plastic um, and those don't really break down for a long time, but they go through your system. And then, you know, I'm sure at that point, if they're cracked, broken or whatever, because they're micro at that point, then. Yes, nano or. Oh yeah, nano. Sorry, I'm not a scientist. (laughs) Much smaller. Really, really small. (laughs) Yeah, really, really small. Really, really small. Um, so, yeah, they would they would they would have penetrated. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's important that um, we start talking about it a little bit more, and definitely as part of like everyone's routine, you know, care your you know your normal annual um, exam. You talk about you know birth control if you choose to use it. You talk about cholesterol. You talk about your diet. I think you add into that you know toxin exposure. And I mean, you have a pretty well rounded. But I get it. It's hard. There's only so much time in the day. And this is where something like this is nice. And it's really nice that you have this comprehensive um, kind of site to kind of go to for products, testing, additional information. You have a glossary on chemicals. So if that you're really not sure what these chemicals mean, you have at least a resource, which I think is a step in the in the right direction. Because I think prior to that, I mean, like you said, there are a few different sites out there. Environmental Working Group is one. Um, and I have gone on there um, and they have a lot of stuff. Like they go into drinking water and stuff like t- that too, which is really nice. But I get what you're saying. It's true. There's like a lot and you're like, well, how do I choose these? And Because you go to each site. So it's nice to have a small curated list also. Um, so um, I have a few questions. So a few questions came in on Instagram. So let me find them really quick. And so let's see if we can answer them. Um, okay. Here's a good one. Uh, IVF after 40 asks um, about invis- Invisalign and toxic levels. 
Yeah, Invisalign, we actually had a, a, a user asking that question. I think it's it's hard because obviously Invisalign serves purpose, but it's still made of plastic. Um, so I would say if you're just wearing it at night, great. If you're wearing it all day, maybe take it out when you're trying to eat hot food because, again, this temperature could increase the release of chemicals. But nobody have been... Nobody have tested Invisalign. I'm pretty sure if you ask Invisalign um, if they're BPA-free, they probably tell you they're BPA-free, but we don't really know what else they have because it is a plastic chemical. We don't really know what kind of contamination it will have. Um, and and I kind of mentioned this before a little bit because uh, for a while I was grinding my teeth and then I looked into this uh, night guards, and, which is similar. Um, and... I could not find something that's plastic free. And there was one dentist website um, saying that, oh, the best choice is to have your dentist to give you a gold mold, mm. that a mold made of gold because mm-hmm. gold is very stable. Mm-hmm. However, that costs $5,000. Yeah. Like the whole thing is gold? Yeah, the whole thing is gold. Oh. Or it could be like a combination of gold versus like a silver or so, like maybe a coating that makes, or something. Yeah, it's kind of like a coating. Oh, okay. Um, but it's still really, really expensive, right? But this is a, kind of like a, where you kind of pick your battle. Yeah. Um, and this is also kind of echoing back to what I was talking about the um, over the counter yeah. ornament creams mm-hmm. and even in medications, uh, many medications, especially capsule based medications. We can't advise people for not taking your medication, right, but right, right, sometimes right. medication is uh, the capsule is actually made of phthalates. Mm. Many of the slow release medication, the capsule could be made of phthalates. So uh-huh. on that, you know, for that, we can't really tell people. Right. If you need like, you know, uh, save your life, you need a, a procedure in a hospital. Think about all the IV bags and whatnot. It could be made of phthalates too. So again, then you kind of have to pick your battle, control what you can control and uh, try not to um, stress too much about stuff that you cannot control. Yeah. Okay. There are a couple more questions. Let's see. Uh, Well, we talked about this. Um, uh, Miss Snaz22 asked, what are the top three things to eliminate, to do slash eliminate ASAP for the most impact? So you said, let me see if we can remember, plastic, uh fragrance fragrance uh eat in uh uh oh water filter water filter and then what was the last one uh re- don't touch receipt and be a oh. for shopper yes 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 okay so those and and then the second question is pretty similar what's the biggest thing you can do to eliminate toxins toxins so not necessarily just one you would recommend for everybody those top five right mm-hmm yeah. Okay. The so those things, quite- once you uh-huh. also, once you start eliminating one, you will start li- eliminating the rest. So you, mm-hmm. you kind of like, once you get on this bandwagon, you, you will start doing other things. Uh, yeah. We have also seen like in a lot of research that, um, once you get on, when, once you start changing your behavior to become like healthier, you will start changing other things too. So, yeah. you know, don't worry that you can't do all at once, you know, just start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like you said, it's important to do some things. So less is better than more, meaning at least if you do one thing, you're still making your total toxic exposure less than you were before. So that's at least still something that you're doing. So that's good. And then um, we talked about just not 
totally obsessing over it because you'll drive yourself crazy trying to do that. <laughs> so I think that's important. Um, okay. So if people want to connect with you, how do they reach you? How do they find you? If they want to ask you some questions, are you open to that? Totally open to it. I mean, education is a key, right? We actually want, even if you don't use our test, we want you to equip with this knowledge so then you can do something about it and detox. So people can find us through our website, uh, www.millionmarker.com. We're pretty active on social media. Find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we also have a newsletter letting you know the latest, you know, research and uh, what we're up to. So sign up for our newsletter. You can email us through our website. We're always happy to answer questions. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, some people have questions about certain products. Are, is that okay to email you too? Like if yes, yes, DM us on Instagram. We often do product comparison because, again, as you said, you know, not all. Some, some really green product can be expensive and also they might not work super well. So we often do this product comparison. We kind of categorize product into go slow and stop. So if you're mm -hmm. using a slow product that's like that you really love, um, mm -hmm. we can evaluate that for you. And then maybe that's, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if, if we want to get a test, then do we go on your website to get a test? To order yes. a test? Yes. Feel free to go okay. on the website. Okay. Perfect. Hey, thanks so much for coming on today. I'm so like excited to have you on. I know when we last talked, I think we talked for an hour also. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always so fun to talk about you or talk about what you do because you're just so um you're just such a great resource for all of the stuff. You just know so much and it's so helpful. And I feel like we could dig into just like, we could do a whole thing on just like cookware. And then we could do a whole thing on just yeah. like water filters. We could do a whole thing on like food. I mean, like, especially with your background as a dietitian, I feel like that would be a whole other thing about toxins and food, canned versus organic versus like there's the whole dirty dozen thing. Like we could just go into it. So if you're open and willing to come back to talk about more stuff, um, I'd love to have you back on. Totally open. <laughs> okay, cool. So we'll, we'll have to plan that for the next one. But thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and all your expertise. I mean, I think it'll be super helpful. I learned so much today. Like I had this bare bones understanding, like I knew some things, I read about some things, but I not to this depth. And, and there's a lot of things I actually didn't think about also. So thank you so much for teaching us all how to live better, healthier lives. And hopefully it'll all help all of our fertility too. And then hopefully when you come on next time too, we can get an update on how things are going for you too. So. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I want everybody to have easier fertility journey, right? Like cause, yeah. uh, it's been pretty hard and I think it's hard for everyone. So um, yeah. if anything that we can make it easier, we should. Yeah. Like I was telling someone else, I'm like, if I can take like a 5% benefit here, a 5% benefit there, a 5% benefit here. That's still something I'm getting. I'm trying to improve it a little bit everywhere I can, you know, and being 40, I mean, it's, it's a challenge anyway, but I'm like, I'll take whatever little nuggets of improvement I can get. And, um, hopefully it'll help, but I appreciate it. But 
I, it won't be too long, I hope, for you to come back and we'll talk about food or whatever else people want to talk about and how we can improve and reduce toxin exposure. Um, and then uh, hopefully it won't be too long, but I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for coming on today. Love it. See you soon. <laughs> All right. Bye. Okay, bye. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.